Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! We are now addressed by the living Lord through his living word. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave, slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So, Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot, for she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And she sat opposite him. She lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not. For God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment to pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us here on this beautiful morning. And gather us now, O Lord, around your word. Your word is truth. And would we be molded by it, including this morning. Help your spi- give us your Holy Spirit, O Lord, to help us understand your word. And bring us into the very presence of the living and triune God now. Jesus, thank you that you welcome us by grace. And would we know your gracious consolation and hope that you offer to anyone and everybody in these moments. Jesus, we pray all of this in your name and for your sake. Amen. You may be seated. I like German words. German words are fun. And over the years, I've liked to try to pick up a German word here and there. Incidentally, this has accelerated in recent years. Collingswood Middle School and High School has a wonderful German language program. And so far, all of my kids that have our age, they have taken German classes at Collingswood, even gone to Germany in the exchange program. It's really great. But here are some good German words that I like. Schadenfreude. That's a really good one. Ain't just a river in Egypt. And what schadenfreude is, is uh, guilty feeling pleasure that you take on account of other people's pain. 
love it. And my favorite type of comedy is awkward comedy. And, and the more cringe it gets, where you can physically feel it in your body, that's when I say, I can do this all day. I am very, very, very comfortable right now. So, Schadenfreude. Also, Sturm und Drang, which English speakers, it, turmoil. Thing, things are, are really messy. There's a, there's a storm. Sturm und Drang. Another one. I would like at different times in college and seminary to pick up some theological and philosophical German. So, Geschichte is history. And there's a, what is history? What is biblical history? What is archaeological history? Can we know history one way or another? Any of you and all of you could write a Bildungsroman. That is a coming-of-age story. Also, far for Nugent. You can look that one up. Here's one more. Zeitgeist. You know what Zeitgeist is? Spirit of the time. Spirit of the age. And that's the question that we're going to ask here this morning, for starters. How would you characterize late modern West 2023? What is the spirit of our age? There's different options. You can go in different directions. But here's one to try on. I don't think it's totally off base. Spirit of the age, irony. Jadedness. Cynicism. That's just where we are. Gretchen Rubin, a contemporary writer, wrote a book a little while ago called The Happiness Project, and this is what she said. Of course, it's cooler not to be too happy. There's a goofiness to happiness, an innocence, a readiness to be pleased. Zest and enthusiasm take energy, humility, and engagement. Taking refuge in irony is less taxing. It's just easier to be ironic. It's just easier to be jaded. It's just easier to be cynical. It's been around for a while. I, Gen X, Gen Y, that's who I am, and I was called part of the whatever generation when, when I was in middle school and high school. That jadedness, that cynicism is there. And then the French get involved. We have good French words like ennui and enemy. All that basically means is angstiness of one kind or another. Point being... Isn't it the case that for many of us, very often, we live with this baseline thrum of discontentedness in our lives? It's always there. We don't even always notice it. It's like white noise because we're so used to being discontented. When we lay down for bed, when we get up in the morning, discontent. 3 p.m. on a Tuesday, discontent. And our community's discontent. Where do we go with that? In the meantime, we recognize that sometimes life is bad, and it very often feels meaningless. But here's a question. What if it's worse than you think? What if it's worse than you think? What if all of that surface friction that you feel is covering up a deeper and structural fracture? from surface friction to deep fracture as we're discontented. Isn't that why we try to numb out? Maybe it's substances, and you might say, well, I don't do substances, and fine. But in addition to that, don't we binge? 
Don't we scroll? Don't we surf? And whatever that discontentness inside of us, the jadedness, the cynicism, we just try to push it down, push it down, push it down, push it down all the time. Might be strange to hear in a sermon. It actually might be worse than you think. At least sometimes. But that's okay. Because what we have here this morning from the book of Genesis, chapter 21, is a story of Hagar and Ishmael. It is a story of deep desperation, of raw emotion, of things not getting any worse than they are at this moment. But that's okay, because we see in this story that in our moments of desperation, we are never closer to God's consolation. So that's what we're going to talk about in two parts here this morning. Let's talk first about God's consolation for us. And then we're going to talk about desperation. And then a little bit at the end, two and a half part sermon, imitation. So consolation, desperation, a little bit of imitation at the end. So this is the aftermath of the story of the birth of Isaac. And it takes an ironic turn. So if you were here last week or listened to the sermon afterwards, you heard that Sarah was laughing and her laughter then was joyous laughter. Finally, Isaac has come. But now the laughter in this story is mocking laughter once again. It curdles back. Verses 8 and 9. And the child Isaac grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw that the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. Quick refresher. Years and years ago, God had promised Abraham, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you great, you're going to be the father of many nations, your descendants are going to be as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. But then there's a problem over and over again, year after year, there, there's no offspring. Abraham and Sarah are infertile, so the tension builds. If Abraham's going to have all of these descendants, as a philosopher once said, you can't start a fire without a spark, right? You need that first Descendant, so that you can have many, many, many after that. So in the meantime, Abraham takes a second wife or concubine, a slave woman, Hagar, and has by her Ishmael. But Sarah doesn't like that. And so the conflict begins to start. Sarah, not for the first time, is jealous of Hagar and Ishmael. Back in chapter 16 of Genesis, the issue there was infertility. Now it's inheritance. And listen to the sharp language that Sarah uses in verse 10. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman. That cast out is the same phrase to describe Adam and Eve being cast out, driven out of the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. This slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the key there is heir. And actually Ishmael, the son of Hagar, does have a legitimate claim to be Abraham's primary descendant based on the customs of the time. Sarah says that's why they have got to go. And so Abraham is shaken up, but God begins to move towards consolation. There's a really interesting both and in verses 12 and 13. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. God is going to be true and faithful to the covenant promises, and he's going to care for the outsider. Verse 13, and I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he, Ishmael, is your offspring, faithful to the covenant and caring for the outsider. 
and Abraham begins to follow suit of caring for Hagar and Ishmael. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away, sent her away, softer language than the cast out of verse 10. But literally, they're not out of the woods yet. And Hagar departed and wandered in the wilderness of Bathsheba. In verses 15 and 16, next paragraph in our English Bibles here, are two of the saddest verses that you're going to find in Genesis. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. And then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot, for she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept, expecting a funeral for a son. When she put down her child, Ishmael, that's the same word more similarly and typically used for, for laying a body in a grave. She's weeping. There is so much desperation here. But in that same moment, in that same space, at the same time, this is when God moves to consolation. God hears. That's what Ishmael means, God hears. Verse 17, and God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is up. Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God provides for Hagar and Ishmael, both in the short term and in the long term. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. End of story. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. One little detail beautiful from the end of the story. This is the last we see and read of Hagar in the book of Genesis. She exits stage at this point. And in verse 21, this is the first and only time she's called mother. There is a shift. No longer is she referred to functionally, but now familially. Up until this point, and by the way, she's never named by Sarah, but she's a mom. She loves her son and did everything that she could for him. What a role model. I think in the English language, Hagar doesn't dance on the tongue as a name, but what a character. And one of my minor surprises and pleasures reading through this book of Genesis is meeting Hagar. Finally, as she's been called, that woman, that slave woman, that Egyptian she exits, this is a mom and her boy, consolation. This is what God does. God excels at consolation and condescension, hearing and helping. To the least of these, the least of these in the story so far in Genesis, that's Hagar, that's Ishmael. But it's not just the story. It is all over the scriptures, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, and the New Testament, all over the place. God cares for the outsider, the least of these, the weakest, the widow, the orphan, the sojourner. It is all over the place. And for them, for us, God shows up. I've heard it called by folks, God moment, or God thing. A God thing is when you're in a desperate place and God excels and practices 
consolation and condescension, God hears and God helps. God shows up. And you say, wow, that was God. No other way would that have happened. And if you're here this morning as somebody skeptical of spiritual realities, or maybe you're a Christian, but you have your own skepticism towards, hey, will God show up? Is, is all of this real? Can I really trust and depend on this when I'm really beaten up, when I'm really pretty desperate? The good news, like I said, is that it's all over the Bible that God shows up and delights in the condescension and the consolation and the hearing and the helping. That's his jam. That's what he does. And in your desperation, that can sometimes be a key step towards moving closer to God's consolation. So let's talk about desperation a little bit here too. Here's something you can do. Follow the breadcrumbs of your own discontent. What are the deep fractures that they show you? We have the surface stuff. We can be frustrated. We can be angry. We can be jaded. We can be cynical. We can be all over the place and numbed out at different points. But deeper than that, there can be this gnawing hopelessness, helplessness, loneliness. We cover up, we cover up, we cover up, we ignore. We just try to live in this jaded place. And our own prophets in our culture warn us that this does not lead in good places. David Foster Wallace, deceased writer, put it this way, irony and ridicule are entertaining and effective, and at the same time, they are agents of great despair in our culture. Irony ridicule, everybody does it, but they are agents of great despair. Another writer, Lewis Hyde, irony has only emergency use. Carried over time, it is the voice of the trapped who have come to enjoy their cage. When we get trapped in the cycle of jadedness, cynicism, ridicule, the zeitgeist of irony, the way out is down. We can go there because our desperation correlates with God's consolation. Go back to verse 16 once again. Something new in Genesis in this verse. Then Hagar went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot, for she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. In addition to the tears, commentators will say, depending on how you parse it, this is probably the first prayer in the book of Genesis so far. So far in the book of Genesis, people have talked to God, they've inquired of God, they've bargained with God, they've argued with God. But here is Hagar. She's praying. She's crying out. And we can do that too. God is so good that in our desperation, he comes with consolation. And God is so good that we don't have to push down, push down, push down, push down, cover up, cover up, cover up. We can be raw. We can be honest. We can take courage to be honest about our desperation. When was the last time you've come to the end of that row? And maybe you need to more and say, God, I need help. I need help for my health. I need help for my job. I need help for my family. If you're married, I need help for my marriage. I need help for my kids. I need help for these fractures, for the hurt, for the loneliness. God, I need 
hell. And it's in those Hagar moments where you can find God's consolation, his condescension, because God hears and God helps. Maybe the consolation that God has for you is already before you, and all you have to do is open your eyes. It seems in verse 19, that well of water was there the whole time. It didn't pop out of nowhere. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. Lift up your eyes. What help does God have for you? Typically here on a Sunday morning, our liturgists, after our time of silent confession, and David did this again this morning, I love how our liturgists say, friends, look up, or lift your eyes. And that's not just bare stage direction. I think there's something liturgically significant and important. Think about what your body does in those moments. When we silently confess our sin, we look down, we close our eyes, we pause, right? But then look up and hear these words of pardon. Hear this good news. Open your eyes. What help does God have already around you? God's help can come directly, miraculously. It can also come from other people. And one of the things that I love about being a pastor including here at Liberty Collingswood, is that there's story after story after story of your being involved in God moments and God things with other people. Sometimes you didn't even know that you were doing it. But we're showing up for one another. Lift up your eyes. Open your eyes. More than that, to the cross, where Jesus Christ is crucified in resurrection, and there supremely and for all time do we see God's consolation, his condescension, God's hearing our woe and helping us, paying the penalty for our sin on the cross, conquering sin, death, and the devil themselves, rising again into new life, granting the Holy Spirit, which is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that if you believe in Jesus now, that spirit is inside of you, that spirit of consolation, leading you all the way to a new heavens and a new earth where we will be with God, leading you towards others. And the cross tells us, among other things, it is actually worse than you think. But Jesus died for us. So in our desperation, we ask for God's consolation. And finally, and very briefly, imitation. In this story of people almost dying in the wilderness, reminds me of a story that Jesus told. In the wilderness, on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, a traveler was robbed, beaten, left for dead. And what a surprise. It was a Samaritan who Israelites were very racist towards and thought this is a second-class type of person, second-class citizen. The Samaritan helps deeply, sacrificially. And remember how that story ends. There's a priest and a Levite that walk by on the other side. The Samaritan helps. And Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Jesus said, the, one, or the person he's talking to said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. God moments, God things. 
Another way you could say that is divine appointments. Does God have divine appointments for you? And this is also where you need to lift up your eyes. Jesus, where, how, and with whom can I be your ears, your lips, your heart, your hands, your feet? God, lift up my eyes so that I can show up for other people as you have shown up for me. Imitation. You have the spirit of consolation. If you're a follower of Jesus, share that spirit with others. Let that be the spirit of our age. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.